Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of EV Brief. This week we're doing something a little bit different and uh, in a break from regular programming, I'm speaking with uh, fellow EV advocate and enthusiast Dave McCann from EVHQ. It was great to sit down virtually and just discuss things like why we do what we do in the EV advocacy space, um, Australia transitioning to a clean energy future um, and battery development uh, happening here in the Australian technology industry. So keep listening if you'd like to hear about some of these things. And now on with the show. Well, today I'm joined by David McCann from uh, EVHQ. Dave, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, not a problem at all. It's glad to be here. So David, look, tell us a little bit about um, EVHQ. You've been running the site now since 2019, I think. Yep, that's right. Um, Yeah, look, it it sort of was just a a passing thought initially. Obviously, I've been following uh, Tesla and EVs for a few years prior to that. Um, and my inspiration for, for doing EVHQ was just the sheer fact that there was a great community out there um, and there wasn't a lot of information that was talking about EVs on the market right now or at least the ability um, to have a conversation about them. So I thought it was really important to uh, you know, start putting what my thoughts were to, to the idea of EVs and, and it's, you know, I've got a soft spot for Tesla, so Teslas as well. So. Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey. I've gotten to know and meet a lot of people on the way, including yourself. Yeah, fantastic. I was lucky enough to join in on your um, Clubhouse conversation the other weekend with uh, Ryan McCaffrey, which is really great. It's uh, I think it's really great that people around the world are able to set up platforms like, like yours and mine and actually connect with other uh, like-minded people across the world. Yeah, it is a... Um... It is an interesting phenomenon, I guess. You know, uh, we have a, a drive, I guess, to to um, see what sort of wonderful technologies there are in the world. One of them being electric vehicles, and and I think one of the the key drivers behind it for me was very much that it's not just about the cars. It's and from Tesla's perspective, there's a mission involved, and I sort of align a little bit with that thinking. You know, how can we improve and make the world a better place moving forward? And, and that's certainly something that that has driven me forward. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, our our stories might be a little bit similar in that regard because, um, you know, I sort of found myself getting very frustrated about uh, misreported news and mistruths out there about electric vehicles and renewables and all that sort of thing. So I thought, well, how do I channel my anger? Why not do something positive and actually try and contribute to to sort of the positive discourse around renewables and electric vehicles? Yeah, it is, um, it is interesting to see how... Um... I guess, you know, the world is slowly shifting towards this space. And, you know, like you say, we have sort of an alignment in the sense that we, we want to in, not only share the passion we have for them, um, but certainly uh, certainly help, I guess, the world moving forward and making sure it's, you know, it, it is a beautiful place to live because we've seen that in our lifetime. And we've yeah, seen, totally. I guess, uh, the transition to places where we do have you know, greater issues beyond EVs, obviously, uh, like climate change and the like. But um, if we can make just one small uh, impact on that, then that just makes the my day a lot better. And I get to potentially be exposed to great cars. So uh, it's a win-win. Totally, totally. And I think Australia is the sort of country where, you know, we've got a small enough population, we've got the resources, we've got the skills. We should be able to do this pretty easily, you know, in terms of a transition, in terms of accelerating towards a cleaner energy future i think australia should be primed to do it right yeah it, it's an interesting conversation started that one in the sense that um you know we 
we've always seen ourselves Australia as being um, resourceful, um, innovative, um, certainly passionate about certain things. And yet in this space, I, I really don't see it happening as, as mm. much as I would love to see it. Like, I mean, we've had the car industry, Holdens and Fords, for decades where we've been super passionate about it. And yet when it comes to EVs, nobody wants to jump on board. There's a few small companies, don't get me wrong. Um, but certainly it just, it, it is really surprising that we haven't as a country really gotten on the back of this. Uh, it surprises me. It really does. I suppose what it speaks to is, you know, the complexity of auto manufacturing generally, you know, Holden and Ford and Toyota and Mitsubishi here, incredibly complex supply chains and businesses. And you can't set that up overnight. You know, you think of all the parts manufacturers and things that worked for years, if not decades to support manufacturing while I was here, that kind of dried up when industry shut down in Australia. So there are obviously great companies at the moment, like, um, like Tritium, like Evans Electric, like uh, yeah. SEA Electric, all doing great things globally, but very, very small time in Australia. And they probably couldn't survive if they were reliant just on the domestic market, could they? So what's, what's the answer? Yeah, look, um, I think one point I will pick up on you there, like you were saying in regards to um, the industry shutting down due to the car manufacturers moving away, I think what that has left behind is is a lot of skilled people looking for an opportunity. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's where the opportunity lays. Let's not look behind us. Let's look towards what can be the possibilities for the future. Um, and I think that's possibly um, where we need to start focusing is very much utilizing those skill sets and seeing how we can point them in different directions to achieve something maybe not necessarily the same as what it was but certainly enhanced and utilized mm. as what it could be into the future so the point. answer to the question of how we make um i guess um australia's domestic market much more viable in this space look i, I do agree with what you're saying but i think we also have to look towards things like um battery development and that sort of thing, which will help to contribute to, I guess, an EV world um, where we have resources locally, um, mm. you know, both lithium and the cobalts and those sorts of things. And, and, and certainly a lot of iron um, in regards to the development of battery technology. And I think that's possibly where Australia may be one of the bigger contributors in this space. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I um, don't know if you saw during the week, but um, there is a battery factory um, starting up in uh, Newcastle, New South Wales um, this year, which is quite exciting. Yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't heard that one, but that's that's great news, yeah. Yeah, Energy Renaissance uh, is the business. So it's going to be based sort of just near the port of Newcastle um, and it will manufacture uh, Australian-made batteries. That's awesome news. Is, is that, um, do you know whether that's to replace the, I think it was the BP factory that shut down in that neck of the woods a few years Ooh, back? Oh, now you've got me. I don't know. That's okay. That's yeah. perfectly fine. Yeah, no, no, I was just going to say they're, they're well-placed in Newcastle to be sort of to harness like mining jobs that are already in that region. They're close to the port, yeah. um, that sort of yeah. thing. And I think this is probably what you're getting at as well. This is how we start the transition. You know, skills are there. We've got infrastructure. We need to, and, and the resources are there. So let's just start doing this. Yeah, yeah, this is sort of touching on where I was going. Um, I was thinking certainly car industry, but you're right. There are other jobs that will be affected by the next decade where you can transition those skill sets to different avenues. Yeah. And, and like you say, you know, lots of um, uh, mining 
um, people with skill set skill sets in those areas that certainly will be looking for potentially jobs in the near future. So yeah, that's a that's a great transition. Yeah, I mean, I'm not anti coal in the in the present because I I get that you know we we need to transition. You know, we can't just say not going to be digging stuff up. Yeah, but, you can't turn the lights off tomorrow, can we? Exactly, you can't. But we can transition. Other countries have done it. You know, Germany started doing it in the 80s and 90s. Um, yeah. And it's it, what it is about. It's not, it's not, um, it's always environment versus economy with a lot of politicians, isn't it? But what we should be saying is, you know, how can we guarantee jobs for the future and, and well-paid jobs and, and clean well-paid jobs? Like it should be, should be a no-brainer. Yeah. And I think you definitely touched on a point there, you know, we, we should be looking forward thinking, um, but also, um, I guess the trade-off is looking to the future. What What's the future jobs? Not necessarily focusing on what the jobs are now. So yeah, yes. I really agree with what you're saying. Yeah. And I guess on that point, um, you've uh, been working on a series uh, entitled Manufacturers of the Future, haven't you? Um, just looking at um, startups in Australia and, and around the world. Yeah, that's right. Um, like I've said, I've been blogging for a little while now and um one of the things that has become very apparent to me is very much the manufacturing space and, and where the innovators are in that space. Um, obviously, from an EV perspective, Tesla it has been a, the driving force behind a lot of it in the last decade. But certainly here in Australia, there's some homegrown talent who has been working over the last you know, five to six years um, to help grow and and develop this industry. Um, the company that I've recently rolled out the new blog posts, uh, manufacturer, Manufacturers of the Future, um, is a company called Ace EV. Um, they're an Australian manufacturer, um, started up by a gentleman by the name of Greg McGarvey. Um, and his background is uh, marine biology, funny enough, but he um, has certainly got uh, a very strong foothold in, uh, I guess, the EV space as well. And um, yeah, I recently wrote a blog last month. It's my new monthly blog. Um, and I thought I'd feature them first, considering their homegrown talent. So, um, yeah, they're, they're a great company, great innovators. Um, they've got a number of different vehicles coming out over the next couple of years. Um, but one of the interesting parts about, um, I guess, ACV, which is what I learned in my research, is they're building the car um, in a bit of a different way. They, um, they actually and it's not called a, a flat pack. It's called a smart pack um, where they get um, uh, carbon fiber body forms uh, put together uh, here in Adelaide, Australia. Um, and then obviously have some, uh, some body panels, uh, plastic body panels attached to those with a battery pack underneath. Um, they're lightweight. Um, they've got a good, good range um, and they're, they're quite durable as well. So it, it's fascinating um, to see some of these innovating ideas um, coming to the fore now, especially in some ways that the EV market has become a bit more of an, uh, uh, an open door to new ideas and new innovations so the plan for my blog post beyond this point is to look at those innovators um, certainly over the next 12 months and sort of highlight some of those companies where they're actually doing some really interesting unique things um, yeah, so yeah it's, it's really been really interesting to to get to know some well certainly ACB and the company um, and it's been great to have some contact with uh, Greg McGarvey from ACV and and hear his story and understand sort of where he's come from. So yeah, it's been really great. Yeah, that's fantastic. I get. I guess this is the future where you have smaller companies now, and you have probably you, you move away from traditional marketing and PR departments, and and they're more reliant on um, EV advocates and and the like spreading the word. 
um, like you. And uh, if, if listeners remember, I actually interviewed Greg McGarvey uh, late last year. And um, yeah, he's doing some fantastic stuff. And I think, well, do you think the um, the way that these are manufactured and, and sort of shipped in these smart packs, do you think this is really going to provide an affordable um, sort of commercial EV solution for Australian businesses? Look, I think there's the opportunity there. Um, mm. Granted, having, and, and I will put it out there, I haven't seen one up close and personal, so sure, I can't actually sure. comment directly. But look, I, I think one of the things that I've always hoped for, especially when it comes to the EV space, is being able to push the limits of what is possible, um, knowing that battery packs are really expensive currently um, mm. in the world. Um it's really great to see a company that's trying to find other opportunities to develop new technologies. Um, and with that, I think these smart pack vehicles will become potentially some sort of footprint for what the future may hold. And mm. I think the really innovative part is exactly that, the ability for that car to be shipped anywhere in the world and constructed using pretty much any sort of manufacturing process, granted within the limits of what is possible with these cars, but sure. the ability to, to, to sort of build them um, in a dynamic way, not necessarily having major factories that have to pump out metal and steel and all the other sort of stuff, but mm. actually having mm. different materials just as strong that are able to actually provide a, a unique opportunity for you know smaller countries, um, countries that don't have their own manufacturing at all. Yep. Um, and I think certainly there is an opportunity here in Australia for something like this to actually really grab hold um, and, and move forward, certainly. Yeah, that's really cool. I think obviously capital cost is a huge issue when it comes to any Absolutely. vehicle startup, especially in Australia where you're not going to get government uh, pouring money into, into projects like this, unfortunately, at the moment. Um, yeah, it was one of the interesting things that I did learn from um, uh, Greg and the information that came out. Um, my initial research for it was um, all about the cars, but one of the interesting things was that for the first five, four and a half, five years, they had no real government incentives at mm. all. And then in the last, I think, 12 to 18 months, they've been able to, to have some government support and everything, which just goes to show the sheer passion that Greg has for this particular vehicle group. And I think it's great. I think it's... it. it it drives at the heart of the Australian historical sort of mindset of we're the yeah. underdog. We want to actually be able to show you that we can do it. And yep. look, he's done it. And I think that's great. Yeah. It's, it also speaks to how I think we need to change our perceptions around our vehicles generally and our, our sort of preconceptions because, you know, the range on these is not necessarily huge, but for what he's planning, what Greg is planning, it's perfect. And I think, we need to move away from this concept of you need a sort of one vehicle, one size fits all kind of thing. You need a cargo van that can also carry the family 7,000 kilometers across Australia. You know, these yeah. are like last mile, uh, compact, affordable um, delivery vehicles with a low carbon footprint. And they're going to be perfect, I think, in urban areas in Australia. Yeah, look, I, I totally agree. And I think one of the um, vehicles that they are going to be releasing soon, the EV Urban, I think... Mm. You know, looking at that, I would almost argue that it'd be a great first car for the younger generation. Yeah. Um, it's that round town, can go, you know, a couple of hundred kilometres, but doesn't need to drive, like you say, 7,000 kilometres across the country. Mm. Um, and I think that's really where this this particular vehicle could be targeted quite quite nicely. Obviously, price pay, plays a factor, but, yeah. you know, there there is, over time, that second-hand car market. And cars like this would be ideal for that sort of, um, I guess, that first car. Mm, mm. 
I've um, I wanted to sort of talk to Greg about um, the ACT government because over the yeah. last few months they've announced, as you probably know, a lot of incentives for the purchase of zero emission vehicles. Yeah, they have. Um, so yeah, I sort of see that um, ACT could be a really good test case for a company like ACV um, with the stamp duty exemption, with rego fee waivers, um, with the fifteen thousand uh, dollar interest free loans for EVs loans, too. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I know um, as part of my article, um, Greg uh, had posted some updated um, costings or at least prices for the vehicles themselves. And, and look, the numbers weren't that shocking. I mean, the, the cargo, so their first vehicle um, that has certainly been used by I think Australia Post a couple of times around. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, their starting price for that is $30,000 or $29,995. Mm. Um, and coming out sort of 2021 is really where they're thinking. So I think what that will allow, like you say, in ACT with, you know, the interest-free loans and, and, and all the incentives they have down there, I think that becomes a much more appealing vehicle yeah. than any other electric vehicle on the market. Like, you know, you're talking the lowest one here in Australia that's imported at the moment is the MG, I think it's Z, ZV or VZ. Yeah, ZSEV, yes. ZSEV, yep, that's one. Um, and it starts at like thirty-eight to forty thousand dollars, I think. Mm-hmm. If some, no, it might be a bit more than that. But anyway, it, it's it's yeah, the lowest right. price one. Yeah. Um, this is almost ten thousand dollars cheaper. Mm. So mm. I, I guess it's homegrown. It's potentially a, a good vehicle for, like you say, that last sort of fifty to hundred kilometer sort of journey. But in the right circumstances with the right incentives, ACT may very well be that opportunity for them mm. to actually get a footprint hold in a place that may utilise them quite well. Because if you're talking a thirty to thirty-five thousand uh, dollar price for the cargo, you know, take ten to fifteen grand off uh, for the interest-free loan. Um, you know, say you're you're making repayments on twenty thousand dollars. You know, suddenly for a business that becomes very affordable, very, and and running yeah. costs are almost zero. Yeah, it's, it's very appealing. And uh, I think you're probably right. I think as an opportunity to like a test bed, like you were saying, I think definitely ACT with those sorts of incentives are absolutely right for the picking. Yeah, yeah. Well, we won't go on too much about uh, taxes and, and government and things, <laughs> but, but what, do you, what do you think needs to happen um, for federally in Australia? Do you think we need, I mean, I suppose silly question, but what what do you think we need in terms of um, support for for electrification in this country? Yeah, look, I think it has to be um, uh, party agnostic. Um, And what I mean by that is I don't think it should be uh, influenced by the actual major parties that are in government right now. I think think the policy has to sit external to that. Um, Granted, it is always a group of politicians that need to implement the laws and that's totally fine. But I, I think the decision-making for uh, how we transition into the future with um, electric vehicles has to be made um, looking at the benefits that they provide to not just the environment, but to, you know, the health and well-being of, of everyday citizens. Um, and I think that is one thing that we overlook, certainly from an EV perspective, is what's the impact to health? Um, and so by looking at the policies external to an individual party's you know, preferences about who's sponsoring who and, you know, who's getting kickbacks from what, I think it's more to do with the fact of let's look at the bigger picture. Let's not, right. let's not sit in the space of 
um, we have to give money to a problem because money will solve everything. Let's look at the bigger picture and actually go, all right, what would this actually benefit across the board? Mm -hmm. And I think that is probably the focus that we need to take um, in regards to, you know, incentives and the like. If they are part of that decision-making, then that's the direction we should go. If they are the best opportunity, then that's the direction we should go. I think the introduction of a tax in at this point in time with EVs here in Australia is not necessarily the right direction like has been seen in um, Adelaide and also, uh, sorry, in uh, South Australia and also in New South Wales. But uh, I think one of the challenges we have going forward is being able to actually convince people that EVs are just as good as gas cars and that the government can understand that as well to make those decisions. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, know, I know I'm talking a lot about a different approach, not necessarily focusing in on what the policy should be no, because no, I'm no, not no, a policy no. writer. Um, but I like to look at what they call a 10,000 foot view mm. um, to try and see the landscape and then see how we could potentially um, make that landscape a little bit nicer for ourselves. Yeah, um, totally. So, yeah, I, I, a bit philosophical, but I, I guess it sort of aligns itself with why I started EVHQ in the first place in some ways. And I'm, I'm sure why you started EV Brief um, podcast as well is it's about understanding that we are promoting this because this is the small part that we can play in the bigger picture. And that's mm. sort of how I see it. Look, I think that's important to talk about because, you know, what, what you mentioned, um, I think economists would term, what is it, marginal social benefit in terms of, you know, benefits associated with a change in consumption. You know, if people are moving to electric vehicles, there's a clear um, benefit to the community in terms of health and, and well-being, you know, quite literally. And I think yeah. people in Australia, you know, it's sort of out of sight, out of mind, isn't it? We don't really have pollution issues that you have in Europe or, or China, but we don't really think about tailpipe emissions. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very true. I mean, I was going through Twitter like I do, and a post I came across today was from a person in China who took a photo out their window and the sky was literally hazy and yellow. Mm. Um, that's not nature. That's mm. us. That's mm. what we're doing. And you're right, because Australia is quite a dispersed, um, large-bodied country and we don't have as many issues in regards to smog and everything else, we don't necessarily see it front and centre. So we, we sort of don't recognise that it's actually having an impact on us. Um, and look, uh, my day job is in health. I see lots of right. lots of impacts from various different things. You know, lots of different uh, influences in the world. But I can tell you firsthand that there are some major implications coming down our way if we don't do this now. Yeah, we totally. need to make choices. And look, if EVs are the way to go, then I'm on board. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And look, yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it is that that health stuff, isn't it? It's um, you know, legislation is is needed because we need to improve things for the community. You know, in Australia, we need um, proper fuel quality standards for starters. We don't actually have yeah. standards that are on par with other OECD nations. I think we're close to the bottom in terms of the quality of our diesel and uh, and unleaded petrol. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's a shame, really when you consider that we have such a beautiful country and we're willing to, you know, introduce elements to it that could potentially, you know, destroy what we have. Mm. Um, just a couple of passing thoughts while you were talking there um, mm. in regards to um, some of the key things that we could do to help bring EVs to our shores and, and certainly um, help with uh, reduction of, I guess, fossil fuels is like you say, 
bring in some standards that actually allow, um, you know, both foreign companies and local companies to not only improve uh, the quality of the uh, um, vehicles that they deliver to Australia, but also to have some impact on the companies that are promoting the fossil fuel industries and those sorts of things. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, give the workers the opportunity to transition to a different work job life opportunity. Yes. Um, and then from an EV perspective, incentives are one thing, sure, but remove the taxes that just don't make sense. Remove yeah. those fees on, on transporting you know, foreign electric vehicles into Australia. If you want people to get into these vehicles and have that beautiful impact to the environment, they need to be able to afford it. And at the moment, they just can't. Yeah, we have to want that, don't you? And I think you know, some in the current government don't want that. You know, um, and they have this kind of free market thinking that they apply to everything. Oh well, you know, the market will take care of itself when it comes to you know energy yeah. or that sort of thing. Um, yeah, look, I'd be intrigued to hear your opinion in regards to the free market space. But look, my five-second thought is. Uh, it works for some things. It doesn't work for all. There needs to be direction. And I think that's what's lacking is the fact that there is no real prescriptive policy that says we will meet this target by this time, like the rest of the world is doing. Yeah, 100%. I mean, and this is the thing we've seen in Europe, we've seen an onslaught of new electric vehicles and in the US as well, because the regulation is such that... Um, manufacturers aren't going to be able to sell and build um, polluting internal combustion vehicles over the next decade, you know, so yeah, they're right. shifting. So businesses can adapt, the market can adapt if there is policy and regulatory certainty, I think, which they don't have here. That's my two cents. Yeah, look, I, I totally agree where you're coming from, Jonathan. I think, um, you know, we as a country need to really look hard and fast at what we're making decisions upon and actually really think about what the impact is long term. And, you know, that's pretty much the hard task that the European Union has had to do, what the United Kingdom has had to do, and then obviously from the USA has had to do. But the people who are way ahead of everyone is the people in Norway. Mm. They saw this coming years ago and they made the shift and made a very courageous choice at the time because EVs were not the mainstream vehicle. Um, now, they're, I think they're up to somewhere over 50% of their sales are EVs, if not more. Yeah, I think it's so, over 50% now. Yeah, so I think yeah. I, I think the world, certainly in the um, Northern Hemisphere, has got the message and is definitely starting to go down that road. I think and, where the struggle yeah. is in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah, and Norway and the, the UK, they've managed to make it, and climate change, nonpartisan, you know, both conservative and liberal sides of politics support, you know, action on climate change, support electric vehicles. It's it's not partisan. Yeah, and I think that's exactly how it should be. Yeah. And, and you know, at the end of the day, if it is climate change is, or not climate change, sorry, apologies, the, the climate discussion needs to be inclusive of everything that is impacting the environment, not necessarily yep. just about vehicles or just about coal mines or any of that sort of stuff. They all fall in the same bucket. If we're putting something into the air that is producing you know, CO2 and toxic gases, then we need to also look at the solution to look at the holistic view of what is actually producing that. So we can transition to something that won't. Um, and, it's, and it's really a very big mind shift for a lot of people because there are livelihoods at stake, there are businesses at stake, and people are very, very resistant to change. 
Mm. Trust me, I work in health. I know that all too well. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, they are. They are resistant to change. And it's really um, it's a really hard conversation to have with someone who is absolutely adamant that their view is much more important than the alternative. And that is something that we definitely need to figure out sooner rather than later. Yeah, that's a much uh, bigger issue to solve, isn't it? <laughs> oh, totally. Bigger than, just... bigger than what I can provide. <laughs> In terms of our, our collective mentality or the psyche of how we approach things, I think that really requires requires good leadership, doesn't it? You know, it it really does. Um, yeah, and I think you you've certainly touched on it here in our talk this evening, in the sense that you know we we are uh, devoid of any sort of clear leadership in this space, and that is a concern. It's something else we need to look at. Um, is you know as you were talking about EV taxes uh, based in in states around Australia, I think we really need sort of road pricing reform, don't we? Because a lot of politicians and industry figures have said that you know there's this line that EVs don't pay their fair share, but that's total garbage because you know yeah. EV drivers pay import duty, GST, luxury car tax, um, stamp yeah. duty, they pay all that stuff. So we do need to overhaul the way that um, users pay for the roads, I think, in Australia. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, you know, like I was saying before, with the tax from um, South Australia and uh, might have been Victoria, actually, not yeah. New South Wales or one of the two. New South Wales um, is actually considering it, apparently, according to uh, our treasurer. Yeah, that's always fun. Mm. Um, yeah, um, look, I, I, think, I think Australia has, in some ways, listened to some of the, the, the rhetoric that goes on when uh, we start heading down this sort of road of change and what the future may look like. And it's generally where that rhetoric comes from is the people who will lose out the most. Um, and I think you're right. I think, I think here in Australia, we need to stop looking at the negative aspects of what's changing and actually look to the positive aspects of why it's changing. Mm. Um, I know there's a guy by the name of Simon Sinek and everybody who knows me will hate me saying this out loud, but there's a guy who, who's known as Simon Sinek and he always talks about the why we do things, not the what, not, not the, not the what we do, but the why we do it. Um, and if you ever get a chance, go and watch some of his videos because he's, he's a fascinating guy to, to okay. listen to. He, um, he sort of cuts to the core of why companies that do really well and, and, promote themselves well, like the apples and those sorts of companies of the world. He talks about how they actually do that. And he's talking about the why they do it. You know, like Tesla, they have a mission and their mission is their core sole purpose, not the cars, the mission. We want to get to the mission. That's, That's what right. drives that inspiration from people. And it's why I'm aligning with them because I like their mission. It's yeah. why all the employees do the same thing. It's about understanding the why. The why for me is not about owning a Tesla or owning an EV. That's great. Don't get me wrong. The why for me is to make my future better for my kids. Mm. That's really my why. Um, and it's that sort of making sure that I can help in some way to make that drive forward. And that's that's really what he talks about. And it's, it's a really fascinating guy to listen to. So I highly recommend everybody go and listen to it. That's a really good point. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. I think whether we're um, you know, whether we're creating something or whether, you know, you're in government and you're making laws, the why is probably often overlooked sometimes in the pursuit of an outcome, right? Or yeah. an end goal. Um, yeah. It, it, unfortunately, the world is motivated by money yeah. and that's not your why. Yeah. 
Well, you know, they're, look, they're, Tesla has demonstrated that um, you know building a you know an environmentally sensitive product that is cutting edge can also be very profitable. So, yeah, totally. Well, I mean, you know, Elon's done it with a few companies now. That's right. That's <laughs> good right. old SpaceX and the Boring Company, and oh god, Neuralink won't be far behind, I'm sure. Oh, that's right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. No. Very interesting. So, yeah, everyone seems to be going electric these days. I mean, I think the last, uh, the latest we heard was Mini is going all electric by 2030, Volvo as well. We've had announcements yep. from GM, Ford, uh, Jaguar, Land Rover, Bentley. So, you know, what's what's the deal with Japanese car makers, I have to ask you? <laughs> well, Nissan has, I guess, thrown out the gauntlet that they will go electric by a yeah, certain yeah. date. But they're one of the, uh, I, I guess. And they pioneered, one of the obviously, well, they, pioneers yeah. with the Leaf. Uh, of course they were. So they're, they're the anomaly, I guess, amongst the crowd. Um, it's really interesting to see, um, uh, I guess, uh, the comparison between, I guess, the Chinese market and the Japanese market. Um, mm. One of the interesting things that uh, I did see recently is, uh, and uh, this was very warming to my heart, was the uh, the price of the Model 3 was dropped by, I think, 16% in Japan um, from Tesla. Um, now, the reason they did that, based on what I've read, is because the sales of Teslas in Japan was quite low. They, they weren't getting the sales they had expected. Mm. Um, and so they dropped the price. My gut feeling on that one is, and historically, Japan has been a really interesting hotbed for innovation um, and for great ideas. And yes. the Nissan Leaf being out however many years it was before is sort of, in my mind, probably got embedded in their psyche a lot sooner than Tesla really hit the market. Yes. So therefore the loyalty, the better choice of a word, is to their local manufacturers. Um, and I think that in itself speaks volumes um, to some potential opportunities here in Australia as well, mm. um, like the ACVs and those sorts of things. Um, but I think, I think it's interesting to see that... Um, I guess a lot of the car manufacturers out of uh, Japan, um, I, I guess it's interesting to see them not move as quickly as some of the other ones, like in China and, and certainly other places. Yeah, China's really interesting, isn't it? Because you've got brands, I mean, obviously the domestic market is absolutely massive, but you've yeah. got brands that have seemingly come from nowhere. You've got BYD that was, you know, the leader in terms of mobile phone batteries in the 90s that has now become, I think, the biggest uh, manufacturer of electric vehicles, you know, commercial and passenger in the world. Yeah. Um, you've got brands like Li Auto, Neo, um, all these other brands from Geely and things just popping up overnight. Yeah, look, it is interesting, the um, Chinese market. Oh, whether they've popped up overnight or not is... Um... I guess yet to be determined, but my gut feeling is these guys have been operating for a little bit longer than mm. probably what we've seen. Um, and a lot of that is probably because, you know, the government has seen some of the crazy, you know, smog filled cities and, and the mm. population growth that they have, and has probably looked to how can we make this better? I mean, that's just my take. Um, but you're right. There are a lot of companies that you just go, where have you come from? How have you delivered what you've delivered? I guess the, the one that always jumps to my mind is, is Neo. Um, yes. These guys have taken an idea that Tesla used to have, which is the battery swap, and just capitalized on it, something fierce. They've, they've really done well in, in um, China with the battery swap stuff. And their cars are seeing the benefits of that. Um, their sales are certainly not too bad, not far yeah. off. Yeah. 
um, some of the other companies. So it's really interesting to see some of these companies actually start to become their own. And then the question then is, will I go international? Yes. Um, and that for us is only really good news because we're close geographically. We have an, a market that is in some ways, hopefully at some point in the next couple of years, going to hit that tipping point. Um, and we need the electric vehicles to have comp competition within the marketplace for them to be, you know, a good, of good value to us mm. so um I, I can only see pluses oh look i mean you've just raised all these things i want to talk about uh, <laughs> so many things see so Great many mindsets. things i think yeah i think uh, you know china is really interesting because um the quality of the vehicles that are coming out of china now are really incredible um yeah i'm i'm not the first person to say this but i think electric vehicles are a real leveler in terms of manufacturing processes and things and they're actually showing that you know obviously with the expertise in ice uh, vehicles in in germany i guess predominantly the chinese have always been sort of second to creating you know the, the most perfectly engineered and refined luxury vehicles but with electric drivetrains the chinese yeah. have that technology nailed and they've got the battery technology so what we're now seeing is cars that are as luxurious, you know, with all the technical and, um, you know, infotainment features of the European cars, but they're going to be at a much lower price point. So I think yeah. there's a real opportunity to change the perception around Chinese vehicles in Australia, particularly um, with the new wave of cars that are coming. Yeah, I, I think um, one of the one of the added points I'd add to what you've said, because everything you've said is actually right on point, um, is they've spent the last 25 to 30 years really honing their skills in the space of mobile phone development and, right. you know, getting to know that, that technology space really, really well. And I think that has set them up exceptionally well for the transition to um, the electric vehicle market because mm -hmm. they can take all that knowledge and apply it to their vehicles. Um, and they don't have to have the complexity of a combustion engine in the mix of it all exactly. and trying to work around the, the challenges and issues and, and struggles that you can have with those engines. It's literally an engine that's probably no bigger than, you know, a, a small, well, maybe a large football, but somewhere yeah. in that vicinity yeah. that you literally stick in a car. Then the rest is everything you want to have in the car that you want to have. Like it's, right. it's, it's a fascinating place to be. That's what I think. I guess the MGs have shown Australian consumers um, in the brief time that they've been on the market that uh, vehicles coming out of China are very different to, you know, sort of the great walls and things of the, the early 2000s. Oh, absolutely. They're like day and night. Yeah. Very look, very much looking forward to seeing the BYD um, that uh, Nextport is bringing into Australia when, when they come out here. Yeah. Yeah. Look, uh, like I said, I think the Australian market will start to get a lot more variety, certainly in the next 12 to 18 months, if not a little bit more. Um, that should hopefully help the market to start to realise that these cars are not, are no longer just a I hate to say it, the go-kart of, of the car industry, but they're actually no, totally. formidable beasts that can actually live up to expectations. And, you know, Ryan McCaffrey said it himself many times, you, you don't really understand how these cars operate until you take it for a test drive or somebody, your mate takes you for a test drive or something like that, because it's only then that you realise, oh my God, these cars are phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's that sheer glee 
that sort of comes out of you at that point in time, like you're a kid under the Christmas tree. Like it's that same sort of feeling. It really is. Like if you want to compare it to something, that's what it is. It's the kid at the Christmas time unwrapping that present that he always wanted. It's like that. So, and you you can't help but smile when you talk about it. Like it's, it's that sort of stuff. And I think that's really where um, the Australian market will win themselves over. It'll, it'll get to a point where it'll just become, the norm to have an electric car it won't necessarily be the the big petrol gas guzzling truck it'll be the tesla the rivian the, uh, you know the hummer all those vehicles yeah. that are going to yeah. take over that four-wheel drive market are going to be the ones that they talk about and it's going to be amazing to think that our kids uh you know possibly will never visit a petrol station you know absolutely <laughs> they won't well and they may never drive a petrol car yeah, like we're yeah. we, the generation that will probably never ever drive a petrol car yeah, is alive right now. Historic uh, Porsche 911 or something. Well, <laughs> you know who wouldn't? <laughs> but that's I, I, you know, um, people like um, oh god, I've forgotten his name off the top of my head. Um, does the car show in America? Oh, what's his name? Anyway, Jay doesn't Leno, matter. Not Jay Leno. Yeah, Jay Leno. Jay yeah. Leno. Yeah, that's him. He he said it many many times. He said, you know, I, I buy all these cars because I love the cars. But he said in the future, this will be the norm for people who are car enthusiasts. Yes, yes. Yesteryear, they and that's the thing. Their petrol car for weekends. It's really interesting, isn't it? Seeing just who is buying EVs and Teslas now. It's you know probably the most unlikely people when it comes to you know I, I guess petrol heads. It's the Jay Leno's. It's the Chris Harris's um, from the UK. You know people like that. They're they're actually they're buying these cars. You know traditionally seen as um, total petrol heads, but here they are buying EVs. Yeah, it's, it is interesting to see that, um, and it's encouraging for me. Like Jay Leno's certainly been one of the people who I've watched for many years yep. loved his show loved his all these shows really but the one I've loved the most is his car one because yep. he has a very balanced view of the world in respect to cars like he's always gone you know from the original electric cars back 100 years ago mm. to all the petrol cars in between and then he's back to electric cars and one of the things he said is the model y when he reviewed it he said you know this is a great car it it just is like yep. this the yep. You don't have to polish it up and make it pretty. It just is a good car. Um, and I think that's the challenge. It's like I was saying before, it's that change challenge. It's that whole trying to get people to recognise that, you know, um, uh, range anxiety and all the other sort of stuff happened when petrol cars came in. But look at them 50 to 100 years now, later down the track. Nobody cares about it anymore because they think, well, the petrol station <laughs> around the corner. That'll be the same for electric vehicles at some point down the track. Yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? Because I suppose when uh, the vehicle first came out in, you know, 1890, 1900, there was one gas station or two gas stations. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it wasn't great fuel either, I'm sure. But No, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's exactly right. It's like back in the day, they used to have to go, well, okay, I'm, I'm going from point A to point B. How far is that? And is there anywhere in between that I can fill up if I run out or, you know, if I need to? So... I guess we're in that same evolution. And I guess we look back on it and go, it's history. Wouldn't it have been amazing to be alive at that time? Mm. Yet we technically are alive at a time when that's happening in real time right now. I suppose we just we can't see, see the history being made. Right. We don't see it when we're in it, do we? So let's also talk about um, batteries, David, in terms of um, 
where technology is going. Uh, a lot of people sure. are talking about solid state batteries as well. And I think Toyota is announcing that they're going to be uh, putting out an EV with solid state battery by 2024. Yep. My same response to probably how I think about EVs in this space, I think the more players in the market, the more technology and innovation in the market, the better for the consumer. Mm. Um, and if there is a solid state battery that Nissan is able to produce, then that's just one more that you can add to the market that will give us more of an opportunity to bring more innovative EVs to that marketplace for the consumers to actually be able to buy and consume in that space. Now, having said that, if they're going to put them in EVs, they'll probably put them in other places as well. Sure. Um, so there's there's great opportunity in that. But I think I think ultimately the future here is I think batteries are inevitable. I think the biggest challenge we have with batteries is waste. So once a battery comes to its end of life, it has to be able to be designed with the intention of being recycled. Mm. Um, so that would be my take on it. But I also think that uh, the Tesla batteries, the batteries that are coming out of China, um, and certainly if Nissan's creating a solid state battery, I think they're all going to push and develop what is truly conceived to be a battery. Mm, um, mm. At the moment, they're lead acid or they're lithium iron or they're you know cobalt free or something to that effect. And mm. I think it's really in that chemistry makeup that the innovation is going to occur. And who's not to say that at some point somebody comes up with a whole new design of a, what a battery is conceived to be and can produce you know a lot more power in a smaller size. And we've seen that of sort of innovation over time. Um, I just don't know what that future looks like, but I'm glad to hear that people are trying different yeah. things. Again, this is the sort of thing where we're living it right now. So it's very totally. good to get that big picture of what's happening, isn't it? Um, well, and especially on a subject that we don't know. Yeah. In a lot of yeah. cases, like unless you're a person developing the batteries, you just don't know what you don't know. Like, Yeah, that's right. I yeah. guess one thing about battery technology is that as EV uh, uptake uh, increases dramatically around the world, yeah. We're actually going to have to really look at um, charging, aren't we? Um, yeah. know, I'm lucky enough to have um, an off-street place to park and charge a car. Most people in cities probably aren't going to going forward. So we're probably going to need either a hell of a lot more charging stations or we're going to need new technology that allows cars to be charged a lot quicker. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think um, charging technology is going to be an interesting evolutionary uh, piece of tech, I would say. And I don't necessarily think it'll be charging stations where the yeah. um, innovation will lie. I think it'll be in a number of different places. You know, how do you charge on the go? Um, how do you charge, like you say, when you don't have a house to park your car in? Is there the ability to pull up to a car park charging space of some description and it just charges you rather than it actually being plugged in and mm. keep an eye on the car and all the other sort of stuff that comes with it. So I think I think charging infrastructure currently in the world that we live in, um, here in Australia certainly, I think we have an advantage over some countries because we have Tritium who um, is an innovator in this space. They have been leading the charge across the board, certainly in the United States for a lot of years and here in Australia, they uh, have been pivotal in a lot of our charging infrastructure to go in. So um, I think Australia has quite a good footprint when it comes to this space. They've got a lot of buy-in from the RSEQs and MRAs. 
Um, EVs is another one. Like, there's lots of various different companies that are all looking into mm. this space to make it happen for Australia. I think that's great, and I think it's exactly where we need to be. Um, it's just the, the EV adoption just isn't quite there yet. It's great, it's growing, and it, it is doing well, but it's just not quite to where it needs to be. I think I saw a report today, it was like 0.6% or 0.06% of the cars on the road are EVs. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, right. Um, but from the charging infrastructure, look, I think Australia is doing very well to get the infrastructure out there. It, it could go better in the sense of, know more in places that are rural and remote um but look at the states i mean tesla has distributed their network everywhere um charge america supposedly has put a lot of infrastructure in that space as well and it only continues to grow yeah that's right electrify america yeah the uh... yeah electrify america that's it yeah so i think if you're looking at just purely charging stations on the road they're not doing too bad yeah. where the infrastructure becomes much more challenging is in those corner cases, like you were suggesting, where I don't have a home to park my car, I've got to park it on the street, and if I don't get the right car parking space right now, I can't charge it overnight, so mm. what do I do? Um, I think that's sort of the corner cases, at least as an example, of where um, there probably is a bit yep. more thought that needs to go into it. Yep. I guess it's, there's no one-size-fits-all solution because uh, markets are so different. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you follow Jay in Shanghai on Twitter, um, but he posted a photo from China um, just of queues at a supercharger. And this is obviously a case where people uh, don't have apartment or home charging and they're forced to use superchargers. And yeah. the number of sales in China, there are obviously inevitable queues forming at, uh, at stations. Yeah, so, the same thing's happening in um, places like California where obviously Tesla is housed. Yes, particularly um, the sort of Thanksgiving uh, holidays, Independence Day, that sort of thing I've seen. Yeah, I guess how big is a charging station really going to be? I mean, the one in China recently was 72 stalls. Now, yeah. that seems like a lot, but like you say, when you've got a huge uptake of electric vehicles and they've got access to these charging stations, that gets filled up pretty quickly. And then you've got concerns with you know, power requirements and everything else that comes with that. Um, and I, I think that's sort of where I was going before in the sense of that's great and it's good infrastructure, but we don't necessarily want to replicate what we've done with petrol stations where you have a, you know, a charging station every three feet because there's not enough to go around. I think there has to be some smarter thinking in this space. Um, and one of the innovative ideas that I've certainly seen, which I thought was quite cool, was um, the uh, charging road or something to that effect where they drive along and it yeah. charges them. Yes. But the road itself is also... Uh, like solar panels or something to that effect where it actually absorbs the power to charge the cars, which I thought was really quite interesting. That's a great concept, that is. Obviously, um, you would lose a fair amount of energy in that wireless sort of transmission from road to yeah. vehicle, um, but if you don't have to be stationary, that's a great idea. Yeah, and I, I think I think it's that cumulative total of, of ideas that, like, I I talk about this uh, to friends when I'm talking about um, apps that have sat in the app store for decades or mm. not decades, but a long time. And they've sat idle because they do one thing and they only do one thing really well. And there's lots of them. But if you could go through all those lots and go, actually, I want a bit of that and a bit of that and a bit of that, and I'll put them together and they become a really great app. Why can't you do the same with like charging infrastructure and those sorts of things? Maybe there's some different ideas out there that actually don't work as, or aren't as mainstream as, as the populist thinking says it should be, 
But mm. if you put it together with this bit and this bit and this bit, maybe it actually does work really, really well and it's the thing we want. Um, and that's sort of where I was going in regards to the hint about the, the road and the solar charging. You know, why not have a solar farm close to some sort of freeway somewhere that actually charges the road yeah. and provides the wireless charging? So uh, I guess we just need to start thinking outside the box and using that innovative thinking mm. to try and mm. drive things forward. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Uh, that also ties into the sort of the the different approaches to charging that we see overseas um, with Neo, for example, with their battery swap set up. I know a lot of people, um, a lot of Tesla fans say that's absolutely ridiculous. It's a stupid concept. Um, and I know Better Place, uh, that Israeli startup, tried that in Australia a few years ago. But I think okay. the difference with Neo is that um, the technology is at the point now where it's a lot more viable than with the older Renaults that they were using at the time. And the I don't know what the yeah. batteries were, but I think they were some sort of lead acid nickel type thing instead of lithium ion. But um, yeah, I can tell you now that I think, uh, you know, the Chinese market is somewhere that the swap works very well. I think in terms of consumer expectations around customer service and technology, that is the perfect fit for the Chinese market. If you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying. And you know, I think you're right. I think I don't think one shoe fits all. No, um, no. You know, I think there has to be a multitude of different different technologies potentially, if technology is the way to go. But different opportunities, different opportunities, um, yeah, yeah, for things to be able to actually have a life of their own. And and you know, one country is very different to another. One state is very different to another. One suburb can be yeah. even different to another. Like there there has to be different ways of doing things. And and you know, I may like a Tesla, you may like, you know, I don't know, a, a Mach-E, for example. Yes, they currently charge the same way, but who's not to say into the future they go divergent paths. We still like the same cars, we just have different requirements for them. So um, I think there has to be opportunities in different ways uh, moving forward where we look at all things equally and then base them on their merits and see if they're viable. Well, thanks for tuning in to this Hangout episode of EV Brief. Sometimes it's just great to chat with fellow EV enthusiasts about products, policy and ideas. Now make sure you check out Dave's blog series, Manufacturers of the Future, at ev-hq.com. Now on next week's show, we're speaking with energy policy expert Dr. Alina Dini about EV uptake in Australia, renewables and more. So don't miss it. Make sure you subscribe to EV Brief on your favourite platform and follow evbrief.com for the latest news and analysis. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Jonathan and this is EV Brief.